Harry was an old man who lived in a cabin on the edge of Spirit Lake, five miles away from Mount St. Helens in the state of Washington. For quite some time, geologists have been saying to the residents in that area that previously dormant volcano is about to erupt again and therefore asked everyone to evacuate. Here's my buddy Harry. (laughs) For his own reason, Harry refused to evacuate like the others. By the way, his name is Harry Truman. (laughs) I will personally never forget the interview on television back in 1980 as I watched the interview with this man when he pointed to this mountain and he said, I know this mountain. This mountain is my friend. This mountain will never hurt me. And you guessed it. On May 18, 1980, a powerful explosion blew the top of Mount St. Helens, sending four million tons of ashes into the earth's atmosphere. Huge trees were literally pulled up and taken away 17 miles. There was a massive landslide and hot ashes and rocks that came down from the mountain at 200 miles an hour. Cars were buried, and car occupants uh, died of the suffocated with the ashes. And Harry's body was never found. No trace of his house. Harry ignored the warning and faced the consequences. Let me repeat this. Harry ignored the warning and faced the consequences. Second Peter chapter 3. We come to the very last in a series of messages where I deliberately called it, It is never too late. Because as long as you are breathing, it is never too late. It is never too late if you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ and received salvation to do so. It is never too late to renew your covenant even if you've gone into the far country. It is never too late to rededicate yourself to Christ. It is never too late to purpose in your heart that you are to discover His purpose for you in this life and obey it. The very last written words by the great Apostle Peter is pleading with the believers, pleading with every believer who will read his words, that they need to discern the times in which we live, to wake up to the fact that judgment is on its way, to be alert and not to be misled by false preachers and false teachers, to remember our days, to know that the Lord's return will happen and will take place. I hope you've turned with me already to Peter, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the element will be dissolved with fire. Back in the 1800s, we said, oh, the elements does not burn. Now we know that even the atom can be split. And the earth and all that's in it will be burnt up. Beloved, listen carefully. The reason Peter uses the image of a thief is because back in the Middle East area, 
A thief never announces his coming. Even today, you never get a thief who calls you on the phone and he said, Hey, I'm working your neighborhood. Are you in the house? He doesn't announce it. He will come when he's least expected. But there's something else about the concept of the thief that you must understand why the Bible talks about it. Because the thief comes to the least anticipating, to the least expecting person. Those who are totally drunk and uh, literally dead to the world, uh, those who are focusing completely on this life and the affairs of this life and the problems of this life and the future of this life, and they're doing things only for this life and never give a thought to the life to come. From a spiritual perspective, the second coming of Christ will take those who are unsuspecting by surprise, those who are building monuments for themselves, those who are planning their own future without God, those who are so busy in this life's issues, those who are totally consumed by the pleasure with the pleasures of this life, those who, like Harry, back in 1980, who may mock and scoff any warning of eternal judgment that is coming. Listen to me, please. Peter tells us all of this because Peter is not making his own rules. Peter tells us this because he heard this from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In Matthew 24, 44, Jesus said, The Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect him. Uh, Peter is telling us all of this because he heard this from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ himself when he said, If the man of the house had known at what hour the thief would come, he would have watched, and he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. Several of you have expressed to me some deep feelings which I really fully understood. Uh, hesitation and, and somewhat, um, as you heard the message of the coming judgment, you, you said, I have family members who are not believers, and, and while I want the Lord to come, but I, I am really deeply concerned about my family who are not believers, and, and left you uneasy. But let me give you this word, okay? This is a personal advice that I have learned through the years of all the years in ministry all over the place. If you have an unbelieving family member, you need to share Christ with them once. Don't nag them. You share Christ with them once, but then you never, 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 never give up praying for them. Amen? We have a great God. We have a merciful God. We have a gracious God who not only hears our prayers, but answers them. 1 Corinthians 7 tells us that the family, the children of even one believing parent are sanctified in that believing parent, which tells me that in God's economy, the non-believing members of a believing family have a special place. And therefore, when you pray and don't give up praying and you keep at it, and you keep at it. I have seen with those two eyes people who have given their life late in life, and they knew that the family and the members of the, the parents have prayed for them. But I'm telling you, God will answer your prayer. Don't give up praying. And that is why Peter is saying to all of us who know and love the Lord that we must order our lives 
we must order the totality of our lives in the light of this great event that is about to take place. The judgment is as sure as God Himself is sure. And that is why he goes on, verses 11 and 12, to say, since judgment is a reality, what sort of people you ought to be? Or how shall we live now in this life in the light of the second coming of Christ? Or how shall we be known to the community? How shall we be known to those around us? And he gives us two things. First, he said that we are to live holy lives. What does that mean? Now, some people kind of use the word holy, and they kind of really, it's a, as a bad connotation. The word holy is a beautiful word. It means to be set aside. It means to be set aside for the use of God, for the exclusive use of God. You are to be set aside exclusively for Him. When your tongue is set aside, you will bless and not curse. When your money is set aside, you will use it for the glory of God, not on frivolous things. When your time is set aside for God, you're going to spend your time serving, encouraging, uplifting others, living a godly life or living a holy life. But then secondly, he said that we live a life of expectantly, expectant the return of Christ. In the last message I shared with you, the parable of the ten virgins that Jesus tells you see, physically they were asleep. They all asleep. Whether Christ will come in the middle of the night or whether He comes in the daytime, it doesn't matter whether we are awake. Maybe those of us will be asleep here. Other people in the part of the world will be awake or vice versa. So it doesn't matter. He's not talking about the physical sleep. He is talking about the spiritual alertness, the spiritual expectation, the spiritual awaiting for the second coming for the bridegroom to come. Five were prepared, although physically they were asleep, but they were ready. As soon as the bridegroom came, they jumped into action and lit their lights and ready to go. But the other five were like uh, churchgoers and professing Christians of our day who are saying, yes, we know maybe it's going to happen, but I hope it's not for a long, long time. I will not look for His return. I'm going to focus on this life, because I hope I will do that sometime in the by and by. That is the difference between those who are expecting Jesus and those who are not. Those who are expecting Him and those who are deeply entrenched in this life as if it's the only life there is. Those who are awaiting for His second return and those who totally gave up on it. Now, Peter makes a statement here that may have startled some of you. I know it startled me when I was reading it the first time. The NIV said, speed the return of Christ. Other translations said, hasten the return of Christ. And so the question is, can we really hasten the return of Christ? Can we really speed the return of Christ? Let me explain to you what it means here. Rather than fearing the impending destruction of the world, we long for it. That's what he's saying. We have everything to hope for and nothing to fear. We can hasten the day of the Lord uh, by praying, Your kingdom come, by praying, like I said in the last message, Maranatha, or come, Lord Jesus. But the second thing he makes a point here, 
is that not only we pray and we prepared, but we also make Him known. The Church of Jesus Christ should be a spiritual maternity ward where the cries of new babes in Christ can be heard. The church is not a country club for the spiritually fat cats. Are you with me? There ought to be believers, new believers, coming into the church of Jesus Christ all the time. But, beloved, I know and you know that there are some people who are not very wise in sharing Christ, right? Which reminds me, actually, of a a Christian man who moved into a new neighborhood, and uh, he was one of those people that doesn't have a lot of wisdom. And so he went to the neighbor across the street who absolutely knew nothing about the Christian faith, okay? So he walks up to him and he said, uh, are you a member of the Christian family? And the man scratched and he said, no, not really. Um, but they may be the ones two miles down the street in the gray house on the left. Well, this guy basically tried to regroup, and he said to him, he said, let me put it this way, are you lost? <laughs> and the man said, no, not really. I've been living here for 30 years. I know exactly where I am. And so he tried once again. He said, let me put it this way. Are you ready for the day of judgment? And the man said, well, when will that be? The Christian said, well, it could be today. It could be tomorrow. The man said, well, please, when you know exactly when it will be, let me know, because I think my wife would like to go both days. (laughs) Very generous man. Now, beloved, we live in a post-Christian era. (laughs) I'm so privileged to rub shoulders with a lot of people who really have very little knowledge of biblical truth, and this is where we need to start. It's got to be a conversation. It's got to be something that just comes up naturally, not something that is forced. On the other hand, I know there are some Christians who are like the Arctic River, frozen over at the mouth. They never say anything. They have people all around them who would long to know, but they never hear it from them. I was thinking about this, and those people reluctant to tell, and and the the extremes that we have in the Christian community, and I thought of a true story back in in the early 1900s, where the headline news in Detroit, Michigan, in the newspaper says, Henry Ford bought the largest insurance policy known to man to this date. And so his insurance agent and a friend read this, and he was really exercised. So he went over to see Henry Ford. And he said, Henry, is it really true that you bought this huge insurance policy? He said, yes, I did. He said, but Henry, I've been your insurance agent. I've been your friend. Uh, I've handled many of your insurance. He said, yeah. But you never asked me. You never asked me. Beloved, please listen to me. Don't let anyone ever say to you on that great day, you never told me about the love of Christ. You never shared with me the plan of salvation. You've never invited me to your church. You never told me that my sins can be forgiven. You never told me 
that my guilt can be alleviated. You never told me that my shame can be erased. You never told me that I could have a peace of mind, that I can live a life of joy in the midst of trouble. Above all, that my eternity can be guaranteed in heaven with Jesus. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. Listen, I thank God for each one of you here in this place. I really do who constantly share in Christ, or constantly want people to come to know Christ, constantly trying to help people to come to be eternally saved. I thank God for all of you here who share the love of Christ at every opportunity you have. And Peter is saying that the way to hasten the return of Christ is by telling others. Jesus said in Matthew 24 that this gospel of the kingdom must be preached around the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Why do you think we broadcast the gospel 2,300 times or more a week in 26 languages? We want to hasten the return of the Lord. I, for one, I want to hasten it, and I want to do whatever it takes to do it. <laughs> but look with me again, verse 40. Well, I give God glory. Give God glory. Verse 14. You say, how do you get sharing Christ with others from this? I want to tell you, because the word peace that he uses here in the context is that peace that comes from knowing that you have peace with God. Because when you have peace with God, everything else falls in place. That is the peace he's talking about that stems from absolute confidence of faith in the Lord's salvation. This is the same word that the Apostle Paul uses in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Listen carefully. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And here it comes. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That peace that Peter's talking about, it's the same peace that Paul talked about. That peace banishes both earthly worries, earthly anxieties, and any fear of judgment. It is the peace that comes from knowing without a shadow of doubt that you are forgiven eternally, that you are redeemed eternally, that you are saved eternally, that you are justified before heaven eternally, that you have been set aside for the exclusive use of the Lord eternally, uh, that no matter what catastrophes may take place, no matter what cosmic destruction there is, no matter what troubling times that are ahead of us, our hope is as sure as Christ Himself is sure. I was thinking about those who only have focus, all of their attention and concerns about this life and what's going on in this life instead of ordering this life and the light of the life to come. There are some, even in churches. And I thought about this church in the country church where they have a tradition where the deacons all sat in the front pew and they always responded to the preacher. They always said something in response to what the preacher says. And so, one day, the preacher was preaching on the day of judgment. Now, I am not 
approving or disapproving of his theology, okay? I'll just tell you the story as it is. He started preaching, and the deacons were affirming him. Everything he says, the deacons were affirming. And so the preacher said, one day we will wake up, and it's going to be dark, very dark in the middle of the day. And one of the deacons yelled, Lord, deliver us. At that point, the church treasurer was dozing off. He woke up. And the pastor continued, we're going to pick up the phone and call Hong Kong. And they're going to say, oh, it's very dark over here. And another deacon Lord, have mercy. And then he said, we're going to pick up the phone and we're going to call Honolulu. And they're going to say, oh, it's very dark, very dark over here. And another deacon, oh, Lord, deliver us. The preacher went on to say, then we're going to pick up the phone and we're going to call Paris. And they're going to say, oh, it's very dark over here. And another deacon, Lord, deliver us. And then he said, we're going to pick up the phone and we're going to call Moscow. And they're going to say, yes, it is too dark here too. At that point, the treasurer, who's been silent, just couldn't take it anymore, and he yelled uncontrollably, Lord, Lord, what a phone bill! (laughs) Peter's leaving us with no doubt that he wants believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to live every single day with the expectation of the return of the Lord to order their lives, their business, their affairs, everything they do in this life, and everything they're involved in, in the light of the return of the Lord. I know, I know that in the 21st century, in the West particularly, where we are deeply entrenched in politics and economics and all the things that to do with this life, and we do nothing from the light of the… And not only people kind of think this is hard to even think about, they think it's weird. Try to talk to non-believers. They think it's weird. But, beloved, be confident that you are living a spotless life when you live by the light of the return of Christ. I am not saying this. The Word of God says this. What does Peter mean being spotless? Does it mean we're perfect? We're sinless? No. Listen carefully. By daily covering ourselves, putting on the righteous robe of Jesus Christ. None of us, none of our righteousness can get us even one millimeter toward heaven. But the righteousness of Jesus Christ that He gives to every believer when they come, surrendering to Him, repenting of their sins, seeking His forgiveness. He hands us a robe of righteousness. And that is why the Father, when He looks at us, He sees us perfect, because He sees us through the prism of Jesus. He sees us through that robe of Jesus. In fact, that is the robe that Jesus talked about when He talked about the parable of the wedding feast. And he said, these people, one man came, but he was not wearing the righteous robes of Jesus. You see, there are some churchgoers, there's some professing Christians who think they're Christians, but in the end they'll be shocked because when they arrive, they'll be thrown out because they're not wearing the robe of righteousness that Jesus has given them. But listen to me. It is one thing to receive the robe of righteousness when you come to Jesus Christ. It's a whole different matter to daily put on that robe of righteousness. Daily. Regularly. 
Let me tell you something. Time for confession. I know every time I get myself into trouble and I get myself all by my little self, every time I get into trouble, it's because I have not put on that robe of righteousness. I went to business for myself. I said, I can handle that. I can take care of this. I can do this. Then I fall flat on my face. And so do you. Except I'm confessing it. Peter is dealing with a great truth that Paul also dealt with. In fact, if you read the transparency and you put the epistles of Paul or James or or, or Peter, they're saying the same things, literally. The truth is hard to accept, particularly in our society, and that is maybe why it's a sign of the end of times. They're very hard to accept the truth. When you hear again and again I was talking on the radio show, and he said to me, what do you do with these statistics that less than 15 to 25 percent of so-called evangelicals actually believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? I wanted to cry. And this is what is happening, beloved friends. This is what is happening, but let that be a warning for us, not a way to rejoice in somebody else's failure. The truth is always hard. And Jesus said, the narrow is the road. If you want to go with all your goodies, there's no room for you. It's narrow. You have to dump everything before you go in there. Wide is the road that lead into condemnation. The truth that is only one way to heaven and to the Father, and it is through Jesus and Jesus alone, is a very hard truth to accept, that Jesus is the only divine Son of God, that Jesus is the only Redeemer that can redeem anyone who would come to Him and believe in Him, that Jesus was born of a virgin, that Jesus was crucified, died, and was buried, that Jesus rose again on the third day, that Jesus is soon coming back to judge the living and the dead, especially those who refuse to come to God, Jesus' way. That's hard. And that's what Peter is saying here. He said, many of these truths are difficult to accept or comprehend. And that is why I believe with all my heart, movies like The Shack is the absolute lie from the pit of hell. It is the most heretical movie that's deceiving so many church-going people. And they are changing the hard truth. They're softening the truth. They're trying to cover the truth. Instead of God being the mighty God, the powerful God who became man in order to redeem us, they want a God, and they created a God in their own image who is at our beck and call, a God who serves us instead of a God whom we serve in gratitude and thanksgiving for our salvation. Well, there are some things, of course, we don't know. There are some things we don't comprehend. Sure, I don't know everything about everything, but thank God the day is coming when I will know, when you will know. The last two verses, Peter literally hits us between the eyes. False teachers will lead you astray. In the end, their destruction is sure in the day of judgment. But as for you... Don't get swept off your feet by them. Don't be taken in by the slick presentations. Don't go along with them and get used to placebos. Be steadfast 
immovable, abounding in the truth of the Word of God. Please hear me right. Satan will attack you. If he doesn't, then there's something wrong with you. Satan will attack your faithfulness. But remember this. Jesus is greater than Satan. Jesus is more powerful than Satan. Jesus is the one who will give you victory every time you go to Him. Jesus will keep you on growing in grace every time you spend with Him every day. Jesus will keep you growing as long as you feed on the solid food of the Word of God. Don't develop a taste for sugar pills. Spend time with God and His Word. Feed upon Him alone. Practice to listen only to His voice and obey it. Above all, don't lose your reward. That's what he's talking about here, about falling. He's talking about losing your reward. If the great apostle Paul said, I want to stay faithful all the way to the end because I don't want to be a person who have preached to everybody else, but then I lost my reward. And he's saying, don't lose your reward. Hold on and don't give up. Hold on. Jesus is saying, wait a little while longer. Hold on, I'm on my way. Hold on, I'm preparing a place for you. Hold on, and don't be tempted to take the easy way out. Hold on, I'm bringing your reward with me and giving it to you for your faithfulness. And above all, those who love Him, those who love His appearing, can cry out and say, Come, Lord Jesus. Say it with me. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.